If you have a Bible, if you can open up to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is between the book of James and the little book of Philemon. If you've been with us, you know we've been in a series in the book of Hosea that was completed last week. And this week, we're starting something new. We're going to think about how to come back from the pandemic. We're going to think about how to re-enter life here together as a church. It seems like we have an opportunity, much like Nick Carraway expressed, who Nick is the character slash narrator, the main character slash narrator of F. Scott Fitzgerald's famous book called The Great Gatsby. Nick lived in New York. I'm sorry, Nick lived in Minnesota and moved to New York. And he he says this, And so with the sunshine and the great bursts of leaves growing in trees, I had that familiar conviction that life was beginning over again with the summer. And in some ways, that's what's happening for all of us. Life is beginning over again. Um, In some ways, and in different ways, all of our lives were put on hold last March when the governor gave his shelter-in-place order. And in some ways, as things begin to open up, it's like life is beginning again over again. The, whole, the gears of the whole world ground to a halt last, last, some, last uh, March, and we all felt it. We stayed in. We were sequestered away from each other. We didn't go to soccer games or concerts or graduations or weddings or funerals or work or birthday parties or vacations, and we didn't go to church. And by church, I mean we didn't get to see each other. It's face... FaceTime, Zoom, text, email, those are blessings, but those, those, aren't a, those aren't a substitute for being together. As the gears of the world slowly start to shudder and move again, we want to ask, how do we want to begin all over again? Because if we don't watch it, we'll just slide back into life and not think too hard about how we want to return from this pandemic. Now, I recognize that not everybody's able to return at the same level and in the same way, and that's fine. If you're at home watching, no judgment, no condemnation. But all of us need to think about how we're going to seize this opportunity together. This is a reboot, so we're going to think about things as Christians we already know. And I think the thing I heard from people more than any other is that I just missed seeing other people. I missed it. I missed it. I I wanted to see them. See, the truth is, we need each other. That's our main idea today. We need each other. It's not just nice to see people. We need each other. It's not just good to get out. We need each other. It's not just better that we're not alone. We need each other. It's not even that we're just better together. We need each other. As Christians, we know this now more than ever, especially in these days. And today we're going to explore what others need from us. Each of us who are members of this church or attenders of this church, each of us has a part to play in the midst of this church. And in these days of new beginnings, we need to be clear about what others need from you and what you need from others. To have Jesus as a Savior means you have others as brothers and sisters. The need for others is not a sign of weakness, but that's the way God made us. God designed us to be together. That might sound a little strange, 
But when you have Jesus, you need other people. Because the, one of the primary ways Jesus works in your life is through people in your church. Those who have a genuine relationship with Jesus will always have an authentic connection to a particular local church. And so Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, are going to show us who we need to be. And we're going to see that we need to be confident together, and we need to be considerate together. We need to be confident together, and we need to be considerate together. And these two ideas I get from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. If you have a Bible, follow along. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, but if you have a different version, that's fine. It'll be pretty much the same. Therefore, brothers, should read brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Lord, we have read your word. In just a few moments, I'm going to begin to preach your word. And I feel like there's nobody in here less qualified to do that than me, but yet that's the task for me this morning. I pray that I would be faithful and that you would overcome my weaknesses and frailties and vulnerabilities. And I pray that you would impact and impart your word into your people today. I don't know what burdens and trials and troubles and hardships people drag into this room, but I pray you would speak to each of them individually because I could never hope to know every detail of every situation. But Lord, I pray, I pray that you would minister by the power of your spirit to all of us this morning through the preaching of your word. And it's in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, who, who is right now interceding for us by name. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Others need us. We need others. And so the first thing we need to be is confident. So we're going to ask, how do other people need us to be? How do we need to be to other people? We need to be confident. Look at verse 19. That's where this comes from. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence. Now, the writer to the Hebrews is assuming we have this confidence. He's assuming that we as Christians have a certain kind of confidence. What kind of confidence is he talking about? Confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, Entering the holy places might sound strange this side of the resurrection, but in the Old Testament, the holy places were in the deep in the temple behind thick curtains where only one priest could go one time a year 
he would go and take the blood of a bull and offer it to God in atonement for the sins of the people. No one was invited in except that priest. And no Israelite would ever dream of entering into the holy places, much less entering with confidence. And the reason was not just because it was only prescribed to come in once a year, but the reason was because in the holy place, that was where the presence of God was. Now, today, as Christians, we have no need of a temple. We have no need of a tabernacle. We have no need of a temple made of brick and mortar. We have Jesus instead. And so, when the writer to the Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, what is he talking about? He's talking about entering the presence of God. Now notice, this is plural. Therefore, brothers and sisters. He's not, the picture here is not us alone in our prayer closets with the Bible on our knees. That's important, it's significant, it's irreplaceable. But the picture here is us gathered together in worship. And how do we need to gather together? We need to gather together confident. Because how we approach God matters. Now, I'm not talking about the cockiness of an MMA fighter who's self-assured and, and singing his own praises, challenging all comers. It's not like that, but we have a different kind of confidence. Notice the ground of our confidence, or the, the reason that we're called to be confident. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how? What's the key? Why do we have confidence? Is it by our obedience? Is it by our goodness? Is it by our worthiness? Is that what he says? No. What does he say? By the blood of Jesus. See, the reason we have confidence, or the reason we should have confidence to enter into the presence of God is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That means that we can approach God together, and we are approaching God together even now, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Every time we gather as a church, we enter the holy places alone. I mean, together, sorry. We enter the holy places together. We do not enter alone. This means when we come on Sunday and worship, we must be confident that we have good reason to appear in the presence of God. And how are we going to have confidence to appear in the presence of God? It is because of the death of Jesus Christ. This is why we sing and pray and preach and read and think a ton about the death of Jesus Christ. Without the death of Jesus, without the death of Jesus and without his resurrection, we would have no ground to come to our God. We would have no standing before him. Without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we would have no reason for God to listen to us. But because Jesus, because of his blood, we can be confident that we can appear before God singing, praying, confessing, rejoicing, and know that he wants to hear from us and know that he wants to see us. Now, in the original, in the original readers, if they had a bad week, let's say they sinned in some way where they felt a burden and they carried it into the week, they might be tempted to get a lamb or a bull or a goat and offer a sacrifice and bring blood to a meeting and say, I'm extra clean because this is what the Old Testament called me to do and this is what I'm going to do. Now I'm going to go to the temple, offer these things so that I can be extra clean. Now we might not be tempted, I hope, to bring animals or, though, or, or have some kind of animal sacrifice, but we bring other kinds of sacrifices. 
Let's say, and I'll prove it to you. Let's say you've had a horrible week. Bad things happened to you, and you did your bad share of bad things to others as well. Maybe you fell again into that sin that you perpetually struggle against. Perhaps you got angry and yelled at your husband or your wife. Maybe you wasted money on a foolish purchase. Maybe you vented all over a kind friend. Maybe you lied to someone who's very close to you. Maybe you went to that website again or boasted over someone else. Maybe you drank a bit too much or even just surveying your wicked thought life. You think, man, God doesn't want to hear from me. Or maybe it's just, I haven't prayed enough. I'm not reading the Bible. I'm not sharing the gospel. And as you survey your week, you feel burdened and unworthy. And you think, God doesn't want to hear from me. And so you know what we do? We're all tempted to do this. We're all tempted to offer sacrifices. We're all tempted to offer sacrifices to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. And so not animal sacrifices, but what do we do? We say, you know, I'm going to read the Bible more and he's going to want to hear from me. I'm going to confess every sin that comes to my mind, and then I'll be clean. I'm going to do some nice things for other people so that I'll feel better. I'm going to even memorize Scripture. I'm going to get up extra early on Monday and read the Bible for 30 minutes instead of 20. I'm going to pray for 20 minutes instead of 15. I'm going to really sing at church. I'm going to listen to the sermon carefully, and I'm going to pray more. And if you do those kinds of things and bring those kinds of sacrifices, you feel like you can approach God because you feel just a little bit clean, maybe cleaner than you were. But that's where our feelings lead us astray. That kind of thinking is wrong, and it's deadly. Brothers and sisters, we have one reason, one reason, and one reason alone, that we can confidently come before God. And it has nothing to do with you or me. We plead not our righteousness, not our goodness, not that we read the Bible enough, not that we confessed every sin that we could think of, not that we obeyed well, not that we sang loud, but what do we plead? We plead the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus. We can be confident, not based on the earnestness of our obedience or the amount of our prayer, but on the sacrifice of our Savior. You see, all of us are going to be tempted to forget this. We feel more confident coming to church. We feel more confident approaching God in prayer when we feel like we've had a pretty good week. But when we don't have a good week, we don't feel worthy. Listen, we're never worthy. Every day we have only to plead the blood of Jesus Christ before God. We must be a people confident, not in our own ability, not in our own strength, not in our own resources, not in the ability we have to obey, but in what Christ has done for us. This is why we talk about the death of Christ a lot here at Center Church. This is why, because we're tempted to look at ourselves. What we want to do on Sunday mornings is look out. Look out and away from ourselves and remind ourselves that if we are in Christ, if we're Christians, we have a great reason to approach our God. We have reason for great confidence. We do not need to shrink back. We do not need to hold back. We can come to him boldly. We can come to him with strength and confidence. We can come to God our Father 
in total confidence because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We come not because we prayed enough or because we've obeyed well or because we confessed every sin or we did nice things for people or we memorized scripture, but we come based on the blood of Jesus and on his blood alone. So what you need to do to be confident is look away from the reasons that you have to feel unworthy and see his blood, his death. Look away from what you think you should be. Look away from the regrets in the past. Look away from all the ways you've fallen short. Look away from the ways you've been broken and look to the sacrifice of Christ. It's only in him can we be confident coming to God. And we must be confident. We must be confident. Listen, we have more reason to be confident in our approach to God than the angels in heaven do. Why? They don't have Jesus as their Savior. They can't believe the blood of Christ. We can. See, why does, this is why confidence matters. You know why confidence matters? If you're not confident that God wants to hear from you, you're not going to be much good for others. Remember we said at the beginning, you need others, I need others, we all need others. But the kind of people we need to be the kind of people we need to be around are people confident they can approach God by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't need to have a people, we don't need to be a people confident that we can correct everybody or go around and, and try to help everybody because we're good, we're gifted, or we're, we're smart, we're wise, we're knowledgeable, we're obedient, we're a good example, and we should make sure everybody else fits in and sees that kind of thing. But rather, we need to be confident because of what Christ has done for us. To be able to get any horizontal relationship right, we must first, we must first always, ever and always, think about our vertical relationship with God. So we have confidence to be in the presence of God because of what Christ has done for us. And if you don't have that confidence, you won't be able to help people as much as you would. So we must be confident together. We must also consider together. We must also consider together. Now, the writer to the Hebrews, after he tells the, 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 the people that he's writing to and the, the, the original audience, he's saying, you need to have confidence to be able to approach the throne of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's three, re three, three things that you need to do in response to this confidence. And you can see them, they're marked off in the text by the two little words, let us. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The accusing conscience has been silenced. We need to go to God privately, together, corporately, and remind ourselves that our conscience does not speak as authoritatively as Jesus what he says of us, we come to, G to God, not because our conscience are clear first, but because Jesus has died for us. The second one is, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. This is holding on to Jesus, realizing that it's going to be hard, and we must hold on, but we want, must recognize he's the one who holds on to us because he is faithful. And for the time we're gonna have, we have left, we're going to consider the last let us in verse 24. Let us consider, 
it says, how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. You see, we need each other. The church, any godly church, is, is not like, like, I heard a preacher give this illustration. It, it, a bag of marbles are together, but yet they're just sort of in the same bag. There's a bag of marbles, they're together, but they're independent, and they're, knocking, they're, they're in the same bag knocking each other around and scratching each other. That's not what we're like. What we're like is a cluster of grapes, organically connected together because we're connected to Jesus. And so our call as confident Christians, confident not in our own ability or strength or obedience, but confident in what Christ has done for us, is to consider to consider how we might stir one another up to love and good works. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, think about how to encourage the people in your church to show love and do good works. This means that we should watch out for people to help people. One of the primary ways that Jesus will help you in your life is through the people in your church. And we can say it the other way, too. One of the primary ways you will serve Jesus is by helping people in your church. Because when you accept Jesus, you accept his people, too. Now, here's the trouble. Jesus is perfect. His people aren't. We need each other still just the same. Our prayer closets are important, but they're not enough. You're not designed to get everything you need from God by personal prayer and Bible study alone. We need each other. We need people confident in what Christ has done for them. You need people confident in what Christ has done. I need people like that. So how are we to help other people? How are we to express this need for others? And how are others to express this need for us. First, we can see this in verse 24. Let us consider. Let us consider. This just means let us think. We're commanded to think about other people. We have to be commanded to do that because naturally, who do we think about most? Ourselves. We think about ourselves. We don't think about other people. Even as Christians, we need to be commanded to think about other people. What do they need? What are their fears? What are their excitements? What are they weeping about? What are they, what are they excited about? And how can I spur them on? How can I encourage them to love and good works? So this means you need to know people well enough to be able to observe them, and people need to know you well enough to be able to observe you so that we might stir one another up to love and good deeds. This is why we need to be confident. Listen, we are meant to be a tool in the hand of the Lord to help other people. Is it the most efficient way? No. When I think about the way God builds his people into the image of Christ— and when I compare that to the way that he created all things, 
One is more efficient than the other, right? God created all things by the word of his power. He hung stars and galaxies and innumerable planets in the sky with a word. And yet maturity as Christians comes not by a word from God, but by the people of God helping each other. Now, which is more efficient? Speaking the word, right? I wish, in some ways, God would say, okay, now that you're a Christian, boom. You're perfect. You don't really need anyone. But that's not the plan. That's not his, his plan is different than others. His plan is different than the way I would do it. But we are designed to need help. We're designed to give help. We must consider other people. So this means we must be confident that we can approach Christ and consider it. Not only that, we should use our confidence to stir up others. To stir up others. We see that again in verse 24. And let us consider, let us think, how to stir up one another to love and good work. That idea here of stir up is almost an idea of provocation. We need people to provoke us to love and good deeds. The idea here is that we need people, this isn't going to be everybody, but this is going to be some who can speak the raw, honest truth to us and risk disagreement. These are the kind of relationships that we all need. Not everybody's invited in with this kind of relationship, but we all need a few of these people in our lives who know where we struggle, who know where we're weak, who know those sins that we're tempted to rationalize or minimize so that, so that they, might, they, they might be able to stir us up when we're tempted to wander away. It's like that story we all read in high school, or maybe we did, in the Odyssey, Homer's famous Odyssey. You know the story of Odysseus. Odysseus had to travel past the island of the Sirens. Now the sirens would sing their loving and alluring song and cause sailors to turn their ships and be dashed to pieces on the rocks. Odysseus knew this. And so he directed his sailors to put wax in their ears and he had them tie him to the mast. He told them, listen, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to say all kinds of nonsensical things. I need you not to listen to me. I'm going to beg you to untie me, but you must not listen because I will be hearing the, I will be hearing the siren's call. And I'm going to want us to go that way, but you must not allow me to. And so sure enough, they tied him to the, they tied him to the mast, and Odysseus is bewitched by their singing. He looks over on the island, and these women look as beautiful as, the Helen, as Helen of Troy. And he begs for his sailors to let him go see them, that they all go and see him. But the crew, who was unable to hear the song with wax in their ears, they saw these creatures for what they were. Not beautiful, but horrible monsters and dangerous teeth and claws. And so they ignore Odysseus and strain at the oars until they're out of earshot. Now, the reality with all of us is that we are going to be, at times, bewitched by the call of something that looks more beautiful and alluring than Jesus. 
And we need friends who have wax in their ears and, and keep us tied to the mast and say, stop, no. Because all of us at times are going to be tempted to rationalize, minimize, or justify sin. And we need to have a few friends who don't hear the siren call of the same things that we do. And we need to have a few friends who don't untie us and help us say no. We need those friends. We need those friends to provoke us. We need those friends to confront us. We need those friends, those friends, we need friends to know where we're weak. We need friends to know where we're broken and where we're flawed. And we need the kind of relationship that, that people have the freedom to speak the truth. This isn't for everybody. This isn't, I'm not saying everybody should have this kind of relationship, but it, these, these kinds of relationships are precious, and they take time, and they take worth, work, but they're worth it. And if you're not in a relation, you don't have a friendship like this, you must, and you should, for the sake of your soul. Do you see why you need to be confident in your standing before God in Christ? If you see someone being bewitched by a siren song, if you're not confident that you approach God by the blood of Christ, you're going to say something like, I'm no better than them. I've succumbed to some, the same things from time to time. In my past, I did X or Y or Z. How, who am I to say anything to this person? Right? That's what we would all do, but that's not, that's not what we must do. We must be confident in Christ. We, others need us, and the reason that we can go to other people and try to help them is not because we're better than them. We all need each other. What, we, what it is is the reason, the reason is because we can plead the blood of Christ and try to help them from steering off into the rocks. So we need to be confident, and we need to be considerate. We need to be confident, and we need to be considerate. We also need to be encouraging others. You can see this in verse 25. Not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. This means that we want to come alongside people and offer support. We need to come alongside others to offer support, and you need others to come alongside you and offer support. We're all weak in different ways, and we need help with our weaknesses. And we need to be built up and others need, and we need to build others up. This is where we leverage our confidence in Christ to build others up. Everyone you know needs more encouragement than correction. And if you're confident in Christ's work, you can enjoy the self-forgetfulness that Jesus brings and remind others that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. You can remind others that sin is serious, but it need not separate us from Christ. You can remind others that we can do nothing without Jesus, but at the same time, all things are possible with Jesus. You can remind others that we, Jesus can keep us till the end. You can remind others that even when we don't feel like being faithful, He will give us strength. You can remind people that we can't out His love and that following Jesus is worth it. See, we need each other to remind us of these things. 
We need each other to build each other up. We need to stir one another. As we think about other people and stir one another up, what we need is we need to be a people building each other up into Christ. We need to be reminding people who don't feel worthy that worthiness isn't a factor because all of us are unworthy. The only one worthy is Jesus, and he died so that we might live forever. The only one who, who is who was worthy to approach God, was rejected by God so that we might be able to come into his presence without recrimination, without accusation, without regret, without anything but the blood of Jesus Christ. We come to God on the, based on the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is why we can be confident that we have a standing before God. And this is why we can be confident that you and I and all of us together are called to help one another. These are things we know. These are things that many of us have lived for decades, but it's good to remind ourselves of things we already know. One of the things I appreciate, when, coming on Sundays, one of the things I've appreciated over the last two and a half years is Zach Boomsma and the enthusiasm he brings to his job. It's not a job to him, but to his, his role of leading worship on Sundays. I walk in most of the time, thinking about myself and my sermon, thinking, goodness. And then Zach, joy just burst out, out from him. I mean, na- naturally for me, joy doesn't burst out as much as like a caustic cutting remark. So I've got to work to get that joy going. And so, so Zach is always so helpful to me to get my eyes off the sermon I think that stinks, to get my eyes off myself, and to get my eyes instead on Jesus and remind myself how much reason I have to be joyful. You know, naturally left to myself, I wouldn't realize that. So I need to be around people like Zach who get excited about following Jesus. If you're somebody who is like me and you're you're maybe more tempted to go sullen and dark, you need to put yourself around people who don't naturally. We need each other. We need each other. Listen, for us to take advantage of this new beginning that we all have, we need to recognize how much we need each other. You need my help. I need your help. We all need each other's help. None of us are going to make it out of this, this life alive, but we will one day see Jesus. And we need to walk with each other that whole way. And may we all consider how to approach these days of new beginnings together. We have Jesus and his blood. And we have the privilege of helping each other. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the help that we can give. I pray that you would help us to be a people who see, who see and move to help those who need help in our midst. I pray, Lord, that you would give us your strength. I pray that you would give us your eyes. I pray that you would give us the sort of confidence that we ought to have, that we must have, that we need to have when it comes to approaching you. Help us not to think about our worthiness, but help us to think about Christ's worthiness. 
Help us, oh God, to be able to approach you, to come to you, pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would go to each other, leveraging the confidence we have before Christ, saying, hey, how can I help? Hey, can, how can I love? How can I serve? I pray, Lord, that we would be a people more and more that continually strive forward together in these things. I pray that as we come back, as we strike out in a, in a day of new beginnings, Lord, I pray that we would be mindful of the opportunities and not just slide back into the old routine, the old way of thinking, the old patterns, but push ahead, push ahead together. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. It's your blood we plead. It's your blood we confidently plead. Amen.